it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,258. Today, we're going to talk with a gentleman who has conquered the age-old problem of a real history of a car. I think you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, sit tight, buckle up, and be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in beautiful Zurich, Switzerland, with a very special guest by the name of Julio Says. Julio, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Hey, Mark, let's make it happen. All right, absolutely. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we talk about this very cool new website and concept that you put together, which I think as a old car collector is really, really important. What's one little thing that people may not know about you, Julio? Well, I think there is one thing that only my, my family and very close friends from my childhood know, which is right after the high school I wanted to become a fighter, fighter pilot, uh, a, top, a top gun guy. Um, and during three years between my 18 and 20, uh, 21 years old, I tried very hard to study very hard, and uh, but I didn't make it. Huh? So, uh, but that's something that probably my current network and and friends do, do not know from my past. You were born in Madrid, so was this in Spain where you were? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was trying to join the the Spanish Air Force which uh, do have uh, F-18s, Hornets, mm. and Eurofighters recently. And my father is aeronautic engineer, so I was born surrounded by model kids, and I, I, I'm quite knowledgeable in airplanes, yeah. oh, <laughs> probably yeah. more, than, more than cars. And um, and yes, I mean, I'm a victim of uh, Top Gun, the renal movie, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I watched it on the uh, in the movie theater, and, and then, of course, I mean, all kids, we wanted to be Maverick. And uh, and I, I gave it a trial during three years. Yeah. You know that's a tough tough course. I, I too I just watched that film. I just flew to uh, Mumbai, India, and back. So those are two very long ten hour flights. And <laughs> so I watched that film actually twice, and it was really well done. I thought, and it was a fun representation of the back. But I have a good friend who I grew up with that uh, joined the Marine Corps out of college and went to aviation school and flew i think he flew a7 intruders if i've got the airplane right yeah the 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 be post intruders yes. yeah low, <laughs> low level attack low bombers level, and yeah. things like that and uh yeah bobby's his name in fact i just spoke to him last week he's got a actually a birthday this week happy birthday bobby and um yeah uh, intense schooling that they put you through and training and so forth and i've got a next door neighbor who's a pilot he flew in the air force and then flew for american airlines and you listen to the stories, but yeah, elite group of people, and I'm glad that we have them out there doing what they do. I know that uh, Tom Cruise kind of glamorizes the whole thing, but it's a whole heck of a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work, a lot of study. You need to, uh, I mean, study a lot of manuals, and uh, you were surprised most of the pilots wear glasses because they need to study a lot. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Yes. Well, we're going to talk about something very cool that you've created, so let me give you a proper introduction. Julio says is the founder of The Motor Chain. It's a better way to manage, preserve, share, and transfer the history 
of your classic vehicles throughout their lifetime. He's conquered the documentation paradox. You own the car, but you don't own her information. Julio was born in Madrid, as I said. He now lives in Zurich, Switzerland. His career was in computer science. He's a go-kart racing driver, a car collector, and a self-described keeper. He just can't seem to let a car go and still owns the first (laughs) car that he ever bought. And here's a fun fact about Julio. All of his cars are over 15 years old. Same for me, Julio, so we share something there. His passion for old cars and accurate documentation led to his creation of the Motor Chain. We'll learn more about the Motor Chain and Julio in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, so give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tank here, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up. But my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors For collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. So, Julio, uh, let's take a little walk uh, through your career first before it leads up to the development and creation 
of the motor chain because I know you love cars. I mentioned that you uh, love to ri- drive go-karts and race go-karts. That's very cool. Uh, worked hard to be a fighter pilot. Uh, but let's talk about a little bit of your history because you were in computer science and so forth, and now you've broken off and you're entrepreneuring it into the bold world of entrepreneurship, but you've developed something pretty cool. So can you take us to a little bit of history first before we talk about the motor chain? Of course, Mark. So, as I mentioned before, after uh, giving a trial to to the fighter pilot three years, then my father and I we decided to uh, to study computer science engineer because that was giving uh, it was the, the shortest path to to job to to get a job basically. And I'm also uh, very familiar with uh, electronics because I've been a gamer, you know, video ah, gamer, yeah. and, and still I am. Um, so for me, it was uh, a bachelor degree, which it was easy to easy to get, and I started um, started working in IT. I was service desk guy, I was developer. And then in 2003, I I shift a little bit my career because I. I get a certification in IT security and auditing, which was a little bit rare at that point of time. And and that was the starting point for a career in IT governance, security and compliance, which uh, it was the core of my career uh, until 2018, 19, when actually I, I came up with the idea of the motor chain. Now, uh, so you started this concept of the motor chain right before the world kind of broke into pieces here. So I always say right before COVID, although I'm guessing maybe there was a benefit there because your focus was probably all on developing that since you couldn't really do a whole lot of other things. Am I correct in that assumption? Hundred um, percent. The I remember we had the first uh, physical workshop in uh, November 2019. And we, I put together a very nice group of developers and, and design thinkers. And I was just giving all my idea, all the business model, and, and we started the design. And then in March 2020, everything went uh, went uh, sideways. wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> sideways. Um, but it didn't impact on us. Why? Because um, we were used to work remotely. And, and the motor chain has been, since the very beginning, very international. Um, so uh, working from different countries, uh, developers are in Valencia, in Spain, the core of the team is here in Switzerland. I have testers in the US, in the UK, in Germany, and, and we work all in remote. And that was the original plan. So actually, uh, the pandemic didn't impact on us so much. I like it. Well, this idea of correct and I love the word to chain this link linking of information together that happens throughout the history of an automobile is so often broken and rusted and not connecting very well. And I'm a great example of that. I just sold a car last year. Uh, all my regular listeners know about my orange crush, uh, the Porsche that I had for 14 years. And the story I was told when I got that car evolved and developed over time and kept changing. And up to the moment I sold it. I got what we call here the Paul Harvey, who was a great radio host, the rest of the story, which I think is accurate now because I got it from the horse's mouth. So this idea of tracking a vehicle and making sure that all the history is correct is really important. I also had a race car at one point that I was told was one guy had it before and then it turns out it was someone else and then it evolved into somebody else. So walk us through how this would all work and how do you control if these facts are real or not, or are there ways for people to go and augment them and change them as they learn the Paul Harvey rest of the story when it comes to a car? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, you say there is a paradox um, in the in the, in our hobby, which is you own the car, but you don't own the information. The information is all over the place. Um, it stays in uh, within the former owner's archives. There is some information in the shops that look after the car during the years. Uh, the manufacturer have information. There are experts in the model or in the brand which have been collecting, gathering information, and they sell that information uh, today. Um, and it happened to me when I when I bought the, my GTB that um, the former owner was good on the documentation, um, but they had many, many invoices from the past, which they were not structured and organized. And I think, hey, I need to put together something which will give the owner the power to take that information together, put it together and put it on a nice way okay, and in, in a structured way. And, and from that, he can continue doing archaeology, which is what many owners do, they start pulling the thread and, and trying to get as much as information that they can from the past. And unfortunately, that information is lost forever. Um, and But we do have a responsibility as current owners that uh, that will not be the case for the future. So uh, we have uh, we are custodians of our cars. The cars we're, will outlive us. And, and we have a responsibility of uh, keep uh, documenting their history. Oh, I believe so. And, you know, we, we have this thing called Carfax that follows cars. But so many times, and being a bring-a-trailer bring a fan, uh, that's where I sold my car. And Randy's been a guest on the show a few times. Nonenberg, who is the co-creator of that wonderful platform of selling cars. There's a thing that I, I keep seeing on the, the thread or even the description of cars there that are words like, it is said to be. And it's like, well, who said it to be? And does that mean yeah. it might not be true? And now you start to question, well, is that really true? And the, and Carfax is kind of the same. I've had cars that have Carfax information that's completely wrong. Uh, somebody put in the wrong information. And try try to get that changed. It's pretty much impossible, I think. And it can follow a car and haunt a car as well, even if you're not buying a car to resell it, uh, i.e. a flipper. Um, you just want to have proper information. So how does Motor Chain work so that the documentation put in there we know is as accurate as it can be? And I assume then there's ways to go in and augment it, improve it, uh, make it right, as I learned with my car over time, that things weren't as I was originally told by the original owner. So at the beginning of, of the motor chain, uh, it was going to be a tool for the owner to gather and put the information together. However, I extended the business model a little bit and I did apply a principle which I learned during my governance uh, years in information technology, which is the four eyes principle. Um, so once you have the information in the motor chain as an owner, you can open the documentation, you can open the car itself to third parties so you can invite these third parties uh, like your shop uh, your restorer uh, maybe a phrasals to directly participate in the car's history and they can input into your car's documentation whatever information that they have and the restoration the maintenance with photos documents bills of course the invoices from the shops and this piece of information then will be first immutable in time, but also is irrefutable. And nobody can dispute in the future that this uh, business or third party, this professional in the end, um, uh, did that job in the car. 
Yeah, um, all our users are um, uh, authenticated in the platform, so they need to upload an ID or a passport or a driver license. So when you are dealing with someone in the motor change, you know you are dealing with real people or business. Uh, so somebody can't go in there and just put fake information in. Yeah, so when you are sharing information of your car with someone, when you are selling the car, the, the documentation is not only uh, documented by you, but also by all the people that had something to say about the car. Ah, very so, cool. Right, so it's four eyes principle, right? It's like when you're making a payment in a company, it has to be signed by two people. The same happens with the documentation in the motor chain. The more people you have participating in your car's documentation, the higher the trust will be. Absolutely. So it sounds like it'd be a great tool, not only for documentation and keeping things in one place, but also when you're ready to let the car go, you've got this background that you can share with a potential new owner so he can have or she can have some confidence that what she or he is buying is what they think they're buying. Exactly, because it's not only the owner, it's all the people who is behind the owner, all the all the shops who uh, did something to, to the car. The car, the documentation of a car is between 15-20% of the car's value. If you keep a good documentation, it will be very difficult during the negotiation of the price that the buyer throw a low ball. And so that's it's very important that you keep a good documentation and not only at the moment you sell the car. I think it's, it's better to do it, you know, uh, constantly and continuously instead of gathering all the information where you want to sell the car. That might not be a good timing to do so. Right. Was the inspiration for developing the motor chain, did that come out of your passion for old cars and having old cars and wanting to make sure that the history was accurate? Yeah, when I, when I uh, you know, I have a 1977 308 GTB uh, Ferrari, and that was my, my first classic car. And I really wanted uh, the analogic experience. I wanted to experience what the late 60s Formula One drivers experience were driving a car. And I, I found this car. I paid a visit. It took me a year wow. to buy it. Yeah, because I, it, it's blue. <laughs> it's blue. His blue Dino Metalizada said, oh, Ferrari has to be red. and But actually, I was very wrong. I was very happy with the decision. And it took me a year to buy it, negotiation with the... I paid three visits to the owner. I went through the, um, the paperwork that he had. I bought it. I took all the paper with me. And then I felt the responsibility of, of keeping a good documentation. Um, and uh, and as, a, as an IT guy, I say, oh, all papers, I don't like papers, so let's put something something together. Um, and I learned later that the International Federation of Classic Vehicles, actually uh, the FIVA, states in the article number 10 that we as an owners, uh, as a businesses, as a restorers, we do have to uh, take appropriate steps to protect their records and archives. So formally... We do have, we are accountable for that, actually. Well, I think we should be. And as I said in your introduction, you tend to like older cars. All of your cars are older. Yes. And, and we're going to talk maybe in a little bit about that first car that you still have, which is pretty amazing. Although a fairly good number of people who've been on the show still have their first car. So um, I don't think I really would want to have my first car. It wasn't anything that special, but maybe my second one, which was cool, which is a 
Carmen Ghia that I had a lot of fun with. But let's nice. talk a little bit about challenges because putting a, a program like this together, not only the software, but the whole concept and then marketing and so forth. I, I'm sure you ran up against a few challenges in this uh, endeavor. And is this your first, uh, I'll say, entrepreneurial endeavor of creating your own company? It is. It is. Okay. It, it's my, my first adventure, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what were some of the challenges that you uh, came up against that you didn't really expect, but in hindsight, you're glad that you learned something from them? Well, I think, uh, obviously, it took me some time to, to find uh, some angel investors which uh, uh, that believed in, in the idea. That was uh, probably the first the first challenge. And and then after that, um, uh, the adoption of a very new thing, like the motor chain, has been has been also uh, quite, quite challenging. I had to learn uh, marketing. I had to learn uh, communication, promotion. I was not very keen in social media, which uh, today you have to be you know, <laughs> right, yeah. uh, part of it. And so I had to develop these, these skills, which uh, I, I didn't, I didn't have. So everything is learning. And so I'm a completely different person, to be honest, uh, since, uh, since two years ago, I can tell you. Now that's an interesting comment. How so? Well, I mean, because everything I learned, um, you know, I had uh, different, uh, I have small failures, uh, small successes, and, and, and everything is a journey together. That, that's for sure. And uh, I developed skills which I didn't know I had, like uh, making nice posts, like uh, graphical skills, for example, graphic design skills. And when you are on your own and you are putting together a new business, you need to learn a little bit of uh, everything. So <laughs> yeah. they give you a different perspective and uh, something that you believe it was difficult, uh, it becomes easy with the time. And yeah, I mean, it's a learning journey, that's for sure. Oh, I can I can relate, Julio. When I started this podcast, I didn't have a clue what I was. Yeah. I didn't even know what a podcast was when the idea was given to me by my son. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos on how to build websites. And I, I have a graphic design background, so that was easier for me. But even the social media world, I wasn't really active in it because the company I was running before, well, I was running a company. So I had people that did all that stuff. And yeah, you, you start to be a person that wears a lot of hats, right? Yeah, jack of many trades, master of none. Eh? That's how I describe <laughs> myself bit. very, uh, very, uh, very frequently. But this is how I like to build my career, also in the in the in the IT. I mean, I learn a little bit of everything, but I didn't specialize myself in in anything in particular either. Which so I'm happy with that. Yeah, oh, it's great. Uh, bravo to you. When you think about your bucket list idea and looking ahead to the next maybe two or three years, what are your goals for the motor chain? You know, Mark, when I'm when I'm feeling down and, and demotivated and I have a bad day to keep pushing, I, I see myself in the cockpit of a late 60s Formula One racing in Monaco. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> nice, nice vision. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've been to Monaco Historique uh, a couple of times. I really like that that place. My my idol is Jim Clark. Mm, yeah. I mean, no question. I mean, the best Formula One driver ever, in my opinion. And when I see the Lotus Forty Nine, oh my goodness, um, yeah, um, this is the car, right? So you know what? When I feeling down, I say. Keep pushing because you will be there once. And so, yeah, that's my in my bucket list for sure. 
Ah, oh, very, very nice guy. Uh, there was a, a gentleman, actually, he raced Formula One for a short time named Pete Lovely, who lived here where I live. I met him when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, and he had a shop along with a guy named Butch Dennison. Now, Butch still has his shop, although he's just on the verge of retiring and handing it off to somebody, Dennison International. But originally, it was Pete Lovely Racing, and Pete had a Lotus 49. And he vintage raced that car. He raced that car back in the day. And yeah, that car, at least for my generation, I'm much older than you, is the epitome of what a Formula One car should look like. You know, pre-wing, big wheels and tires. Yeah, what a cool car. I often wonder where that car ended up. Somebody probably has that in a collection now. Hopefully they're still racing it. Yeah, I love it. And Jimmy Clark, yeah, cool guy. For sure. That was the man. That was the man definitely. I'm so sad what happened. Um oh, of course. Yeah, for me, no way. When when you um when you listen to the mechanic of Clark, I mean uh, uh, they say he was the best because he was uh, nourishing the car. I mean yes. the, the braking pads, the, the rotor, the brake rotors were almost as new at the end of the race. And <laughs> yeah. th- that's still, it's telling you he was the guy, definitely. He was. I always had a little bit of a, a well, big fondness for him because when I started racing vintage cars, uh, the, the first race car I had was a Lotus 18, and that was the car that he first drove. I think that was the first open-wheel car he ever raced was a Formula Junior 18, way, way back in the day when he got out of saloons and so forth. So I always try to channel a little bit of Jimmy Clark into myself. Of course, nowhere near his talent level, <laughs> but I always kind of kind of think of him when I got in that car and drove it because it was very much a it wasn't a super fast car very much a momentum car sliding car on those little skinny dunlops but uh i always uh, felt a great affinity for for jimmy in fact i used to sit in my car and just say hey jimmy uh send me some good vibes would you today so <laughs> yeah that's that i have the same thoughts constantly definitely very nice so let's talk about a very special vehicle in your life uh, first i want to find out this first car you ever had bought that you still have what is it well, it, it is a hatchback. It's an Alfa Romeo uh, 147, and I I don't think it was sold in the U.S. Um, Probably not. Maybe the 156 because of the Berlina, um, and I bought it in 2001, um, new from the dealer. It oh, was wow. in the showroom, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it was with my first serious job, and with I I, I took a bank loan to to, uh-huh. to, yeah. to buy it. Um, listen and. Still running strong. Wow! Uh, it's making 20, 22 years old this year. Um, is uh, obviously Rosso Alpha at, as an Alfa Romeo has to be, no question. <laughs> um, a, well, I drove it a lot in Spain, obviously, and uh, in two thousand and nine, I, I took it with me to Switzerland. Um, it's still, still strong. Is my winter car because uh, you know here in Switzerland you have to change. You put winter tires. Um, and, uh, so I don't, I don't change my tires. I change the car. So I have the, <laughs> I have the, the Honda S2000, uh, which I bought in 2011, not 20, yeah, 2011. And, and that's my summer car. And then the winter car is the, the Alfa Romeo. Very yes. nice. Well, Alphas are cool. In fact, you know, today I'm wearing an Alfa Romeo sweatshirt just for you. So there you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm is to be honest, all my friends, oh, Alfa Romeo is giving a lot of troubles and uh, no single trouble, Mark. And I know many people listening would not believe me, but this car <laughs> honestly is so loyal to me. So I cannot rid of it. It's well, 
is my longest relationship, my yeah, longest your oldest, yeah, your your oldest girlfriend. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I understand. I think a lot of these cars that have histories uh, kind of go way back, and of course, Alfa Romeo, or you talk about Fiats and things of at least here in the United States that those cars weren't some of them that were imported were not that reliable, really. And I think a lot of times, too, people just didn't take very good care of them. I mean, they, they need some nurturing. They need some loving, you know, <laughs> so that they... Good oil. I mean, good oil. oil. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's almost, the best yeah. oil you can buy. Yeah, yeah. Cheap insurance. Well, I'm going to be your car psychologist today, Julio. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Well, I, I think I think we spoke about it a little bit before. I'm a late 60s Formula One. Okay, um, nice. Uh, when they switch from uh, one to five liters to three, you know these these monsters. No win. It was in '68, I think, when they uh, started experimented with the wins in Monaco, and right before, you know, '66, '67, Formula One. They are sleek. Uh, they look powerful, um, beautiful, and um, yeah, and I, I really, really like them. Um, I temperamental as well. Uh, can imagine these things were difficult to drive, uh, like I am a little bit, you know, I have a strong <laughs> character from, from time to time. But, but I'm skinny, I'm small, um, and temperamental, yeah, it has to be a late 60s Formula One. Well, you think about that time period, Ferrari, Brabham, BRM, Porsche, Lotus, Matra, uh, Gurney Eagles. Uh, Honda. Honda, yeah, Honda. yeah. Uh, John Surtees, Honda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lotus, of course. I mean, just... Some magical cars, just wonderful, wonderful cars. And uh, yeah, uh, what's not to love there for sure. You know, I found that people that are successful in life have found ways to give back and help others. This website you've created is doing just that. When I think about the proper history of a vehicle and how much that can help people, not only in selling cars so that you and buying cars, you know, you have the right thing, but just the right history, because these things, as time goes, become more and more historical artifacts. And I think about where I am in my life, and I look at cars that back when I was a kid were only 10 years old, and now they're, you know, they're 40, 45. Oh, gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, you know, they're <laughs> old vehicles, and they're historic, and they need to be preserved. And uh, I really see what you've done there with the motor chain, you and your team. Uh, that's a great way to give back to the hobby. Yeah, it's, it's, I want to say is my five cents to to the hobby. Um, and when I was explaining the motor chain, when it was a PowerPoint many years ago, some people told me, "Oh, I wish I had this 40 years ago because my car's history is broken." I said, "Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's the case, and you will not be able to recover the history." But from today on. There is no excuse, um, and this is my also my my giving to the new generations. Like, hey guys, you will heritage cars from all the generations, and you you do have a responsibility. And I'm making your life easy, right? There is another thing which actually I think is going to happen, and I would like to mention, which is um, emission regulations are getting tougher and tougher. And right now, a classic car is classified as a classic car when it reaches 25 or 30 years old. That depends on the country. But I truly believe we will have owners, we owners will have to demonstrate our car is worthy to stay on the road versus emission regulations. And we'll have to demonstrate our car is significant, is original, or has been restored, preserving the authenticity. And all of that is going to be in the documentation. Um, so 
it might happen that regulations go into that way and we'll have to be ready for that. Well, that's a really important point because you're right. Uh, the regulations that are getting more and more stringent and here in the United States, we're seeing states like California saying, well, 2035, you can't sell a brand new car that's a nice engine anymore. And then what do they come after next? Do they start coming after classic cars? You can't drive your classic car in this in this state anymore. Uh, I, I could see that happen, which would be a, a, a shame. And I just returned from Mumbai where they have strict rules because they've got some really challenges with air pollution there. And uh, that a car after a certain age can't be on the road anymore. Now, I saw some old cars while I was there. So maybe the rules in that city, because it's just so massive, are hard to track. But yeah, you just have to scrap the car, uh, or it gets end up shipped off to some of the countries where it usually ends up going, um, versus you know junking them and so forth. But uh, yeah, and and we saw that when uh, our government here in the U.S. went through the cash for clunkers program, and their idea was to try to get rid of cars that were a certain age because they were polluting. But you kind of wonder how many great collectible cars were trashed during that time that could have been preserved and saved. Uh, for the future so good point yeah yes what a pity i think the question what a classic car what is a classic car will come very yes. soon yeah um, and for for some models it's clear but for others we'll have to fight uh, to keep them on the road and we'll have to show some evidence and documentation to fight the regulation right and we're seeing this uh i'm seeing this change especially in the collector car market now that all of a sudden cars of the 80s and 90s are becoming collectible quote unquote i mean i have a uh i bought it brand new uh an e46 m3 2005 and all of a sudden those things are becoming collectible uh mainly because you look at the prices people are paying for them and i'm kind of shaking my head going well this was just a a car that they made lots of and i can't believe now it's my car, given the mileage and condition, is probably worth what I paid for it. I would have never dreamed that would have happened with a car like that. Um, but those people that were kids when I bought my car new are now adults, and they're making money, and they want to live their dream just like I wanted to buy cars from the 60s and 70s uh, when I could afford them. So, yeah, uh, times they are changing very fast, <laughs> for sure. I, I like for good. I think for good. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, I like to ask guests about great books and uh I know there's a, a great book that's been around for a while, but is your favorite. Can you share that? Yeah, it's been my favorite, and I read it, I think, four or five times, which is The, the Three Musketeers. Yes. From Alexander Dumas. And, you know, the combination of uh, friendship, honor, loyalty, commitment, the fight for, for a great uh, good, it always built on me. And uh, I really, really like it and, and recommend it to first to my siblings, my nephews and nieces, but for any any adult that never read that book and say, go for it. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, uh, I, you know, I've shared that idea with people and they kind of go back to the silly movie that was made here uh, in the U.S. or other movies that were made. And the book is just so much more in depth than than anything ever put on the screen uh it's really one of those classics that everybody should have on their shelf so uh, i appreciate you sharing that i'll put links to uh where you can get that book for you readers out there so the ultimate drive i'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive i'm going to buy you any car in the world julio park it in front of your home there you can take it for a drive and you can take anybody with you including somebody who's no longer with us it opens up a world of opportunities of discussions for this ultimate drive so what does that look like for you 
Well, I think there are two probably. I always say I don't have a favorite card. That depends on the occasion, yep. I would say. <laughs> Depend. But uh, uh, I have two probably, which is uh, a Mercedes 300 SL. Ooh. But the Roadster, not the Goldwyn. Oh, I, uh, I like the Roadster better myself too. Uh, yeah, I mean, this you, you you need to have a convertible in your life always. <laughs> That's one of my policies. There you go. Um, and the, this this 300 SL is the one. To be honest, it's elegant, it's powerful. It's, it's I love it. It's perfect. And yeah, as a passenger, I mean, I don't know, Sophia Loren. Whoever. <laughs> Why not? Oh, there you Why go. Not, right? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> I love it. So I'm assuming you're gonna be driving somewhere very cool in Europe because boy, you've got some great roads over there. Whatever she wants. Whatever she likes. Smart man. There is I'll be a, the chauffeur. There, be the there chauffeur. is a smart man. Very cool. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today, and I can't thank you enough for what you've created with you and your team there with the Mutter Chain. Fabulous idea. Uh, could you leave us with some words of inspiration, wisdom, a success quote, perhaps? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Um, you know, um, being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, I mean, and try trying new things is hard, but I think it's harder to not give it a trial. So I encourage anyone to, if they have an idea, go for it. Uh, do your homework. I think you need to be ready. You need to do a lot of research. You need to uh, put together a nice group of people to make it happen. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be very difficult. And ask for help. Um, if you don't know anything, uh, say, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know social media. Can you help me with this? And I, I got people helping me. Um, but don't don't hesitate. I mean, go for it. Give it a trial. Otherwise, you will regret afterwards. I'm pretty sure of that. Absolutely. Great advice for anybody at any point in their lives. A best way to learn more about The Motor Chain is themotorchain.com. I'll put a link to that website on Julio Shono's page, but very easy to remember, very easy to find. Check this out. Uh, I think what you've created, I don't think, I know what you've created. It's going to help so many people in the future. And that is the secret sauce to life, helping people uh, around us, and especially if you can do it in a field of passion like uh, you and I have, and that's automobiles. Julio, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing this new venture with us. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you and maybe Sophia Loren down the road. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for, for having me. And yes, I hope I will we'll meet you soon, somewhere in the road. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!